Still basking in the glow of a stunning upset on Monday Night Football, the Seahawks beating the Eagles 20-17 to to regain control of their playoff course as we chart these last three games of the season. We're going to talk about the quarterback position today. We're going to talk about Drew Locke's performance, Geno Smith, and how that all fits in, but we're going to look ahead. You're going to have to humor me a little bit today. You know I've been doing it for a while if you watch the show. I can't help myself. But today in particular, I'm really excited about because Max Brown is going to be joining me on the show. If you recognize the name or not, Max is one of the most prolific high school quarterbacks in Washington State history. Went on to play for USC and Pittsburgh. And he is now doing the media analysis thing and specifically focusing on short form videos. And that's where I found him. Found him on TikTok doing some really cool breakdowns. I think you'll really love what he has to say about Michael Penix from University of Washington and Jaden Daniels and who who should have won the Heisman this year. Look for that on his TikTok feed. We're going to talk about Penix today. We're going to talk about this quarterback class and maybe how some of these guys might fit into the Seahawks plans moving forward. And I even asked Max if he could possibly identify a guy later in the draft, if the Seahawks don't take a quarterback early, that he might see as, dare I say, the next Brock Purdy flying under the radar that could be a good NFL starting quarterback. Buckle up. We're going to talk quarterbacks today and the the future of the position in Seattle with Max Brown coming up next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. I get to geek out today, get to talk draft and quarterbacks, my two favorite things. Why do you like quarterbacks so much, Dan? I mean, growing up, didn't we all, especially in the era I grew up watching Jim Zorn play, how how can you not get excited about the quarterback position? And then Dave Craig after that. Those were fun guys to watch and elsewhere around the league. And, you know, Montana and Kelly and Young and Marino and those guys in Elway and what they were doing. It was kind of a golden era of quarterbacks to grow up in, to to, to witness that 1983 quarterback draft class. And, and uh, those were impressionable years for me, when I was trying to be a quarterback back in those days. Um, and, and so I can't talk about, you know, that era without talking about Doug Flutie, too, because we were the same height, which is why he was my idol. Unfortunately, I didn't even have a small portion of the arm that Doug Flutie had. I'll tell you my Doug Flutie Hail Mary uh, story someday. That's that's a good story for the offseason. Uh, but excited to talk quarterbacks with Max today. Before we get started, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe to the video uh, so you're part of the channel, part of the community. You can join in on live um, live streams and live chat on the video premieres. And uh, we do some live Q&As sometimes as well. If you prefer the audio version of the podcast, you can get that wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to sp- subscribe so you don't ever miss new episodes. Uh, if you really like the show, leave a five-star review. That would help things out. And if you like me and you want to support the show, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Or technically, you can buy me a beer if you'd like to as well. Um, And thank you for those this week who have done that. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, And then as always, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Um, The TikTok thing is something that I have dabbled with. I haven't really dove that deep into it as far as promoting the show. I'll post clips there from time to time. Same with YouTube shorts. I'm not sure if, you know, and I haven't done it enough to really see uh, if it, if it converts into new viewers or new, uh, new clicks. 
new subscribers. But that's where I found my guest today is uh, Max Brown has come up through the uh, the broadcasting route and he's done some game work and uh, and he's really tapped into something in the last year or two with short form videos. Uh, he'll talk about that a little bit himself, but that's where I found him is on TikTok. Um, so let's get into it. Max has some great insight uh, on this draft class, which you've heard me talking about for a month and also some specific ideas on what he saw or, or what he thinks the Seahawks should do at the quarterback position moving forward how healthy he thinks the situation might be here for a young quarterback and what he saw from Drew Locke last night. And I asked him to kind of compare that to what he knew of Drew and what he had seen from him earlier in his career. Let's get into it. Max Brown joining me on the show today on Seahawks Forever. As promised, joining me now, Max Brown. And if you haven't seen the stuff that he's doing online, check him out on TikTok. Certainly closing in on 100,000 subscriptions. Uh, Let's start there, Max. I'm curious to know, kind of your your journey to get into this side of uh, of the analysis part of it. What got you into the social media stuff? Uh, what went into the decision uh, to, to kind of start doing what you're doing now and, and how are you enjoying it? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on. Always fun uh, chat my hometown squad, even though it's been about a decade since I've been uh, living in Seattle. Always, uh, always a Hawks fan at, uh, at heart. But uh, yeah, I got into the content scene. I think it started when I was uh, a backup quarterback most of my college career. I kind of always knew that, hey, when my t- when my playing days were done, I wanted to go down the the broadcasting route, but more specifically the color commentating route. That was always my goal to to call big time college football games in the booth, which uh, had the luxury of uh, of doing the past past couple of years for the Pac-12 Network. And for me, as a guy who did not have an illustrious playing career, relatively speaking, compared to a lot of the the analysts out there, uh, I kind of knew that social media was going to be my vehicle in and that was going to be something that, that I needed to execute on and put myself out there. And, uh, I got into the industry during the days when Dan Orlovsky's career took off mm-hmm. and those, mm-hmm. everyone sees him now on ESPN, but back in the day he was doing breakdown videos in his basement, just on his iPhone camera. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? I can do that. And I also think I can add some, uh, some production value onto those videos to make them a little bit more engaging. Um, Obviously, his videos crushed it. So who am I to, uh, to 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 think I can can one up him or anything like that? But that's how I got into it. I started making YouTube uh, video breakdowns of the Pac-12 Network uh, games in 2018. That was while I was still trying to play and, and making the NFL and whatnot. Uh, and then from there, it just was kind of one step after other after another. The YouTube breakdowns led to radio appearances, which led to me being able to put together a reel, which gave me more. Uh, traditional opportunities. And then really this past year, I've gone uh, all in, so to speak, on the TikTok uh, short form content side. And uh, yeah, I just view it as as a guy uh, trying to break into the industry. I think that social media component is where the industry is heading and got to got to got to play in that space. Appreciate the grind. You know, it's it's not always overnight that it happens for guys like you. And and I I think a, a really good example to look at is Brock Heward. Like it took him a while to kind of find his footing, and he had to work his way up through some of the the lesser games. And and now he's one of the best in the biz. It's you you found your way into my algorithm, which is impressive considering you know all the cat videos and and ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous stuff that you have to work your way into to get into my algorithm. Uh, and, and specifically you've been focusing a lot on the college guys lately, and it's a really interesting class coming up. And I've been outspoken on my show recently about what I think the Seahawks should do in that area. We're going to touch on that in a minute, but I want to start with, with what you saw 
at the pro level a little bit last night. You mentioned it. You grew up in this area, Hawks fan at heart. Uh, we've gotten to see a little bit of a, a different look at quarterback the last couple of weeks here with Drew Locke getting a chance to play with Geno being out. What have you seen from him in the last couple of weeks relative to what you kind of knew his background to be and what you'd seen from him previously? Yeah, I think this is uh, what you hoped for in terms of, uh, I guess, what I expected from from a Drew Locke. I think, yeah, there's obviously a scenario where it was, it was worse and you saw those two interceptions versus the Niners a couple of weeks ago. But last night, I mean, he's functional. He's operating. He's managing the team. And I think a quarterback is oftentimes judged by what they're doing on on money downs. That's always the the uh, the topic in quarterback rooms. And money downs are third downs. Money downs are in the red zone. And money downs are what you do in a two-minute drill situation. And I thought Drew had some big-time throws on third downs last night to keep drives going. And obviously the two-minute drill to end the, end the game, like that's where you're going to hang your hat in the – identity of the Seahawks this season has been just find a way to stay in it late in the game, give yourself a chance in the fourth quarter and find a way to make a couple of plays and come out with wins. It hasn't been pretty for the Hawks this year, but w- with that type of quarterback play last night, you give yourself a chance. Again, I don't think it's anywhere near where, Hey, Russell was at during the peak Russell days. I don't think it's anywhere near some of the elite quarterbacks in the, uh, in the NFL, if we're being honest, but you're giving yourself a chance to win and leaning on an opportunistic defense in a run game that I think you like more often, uh, more often than you, than you don't. So I think Drew has proven that he is an NFL quarterback. Uh, I still need to see more to say, Hey, he can be the starting quarterback or the franchise quarterback, but he's earned that right to, uh, to, you know, have a secure position in the national football league, which I don't think you necessarily would have said uh, four or five months ago. Yeah. Uh, interesting. You touched on the big time throws on third down. I believe the number at the end was four out of six on third and 10 plus in the game, which is remarkable, especially considering how the, the Seahawks have struggled on offense, no matter who who's playing quarterback on third down across the board. Um, and I think those last two big time throws, the one to, to DK and then the touchdown to JSN were both third and tens. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I, you, you touched on it. I, and now we're going to talk about Geno Smith for a moment because I think there's some there's certainly some parallels here. Guys that were both both second round picks, both highly thought of, both at one point in line to be a franchise quarterback or thought of as the the saviors, for lack of a better term, of both their organizations. And then they failed to meet expectations, had to bounce around a little bit before they find their footing. Um, and I think it's a it's a perspective that that you can probably relate to as a guy who was highly recruited, highly thought of, went to USC, went to Pittsburgh, and and uh, and and the expectations were so massive at a certain point that it's almost tough for anybody to meet those uh, when they get as big as they are. What does it say about Geno Smith that he had that kind of patience and fortitude to wait in the wings all those years and keep grinding until he got his opportunity and then and then make it count? It's extremely impressive because uh, at that point, later on in your career for Gino, so much of it's just a mental component. I mean, Drew Locke uh, touched on in his interview last night. I mean, the, the, the yeah. self-doubt starts to creep in, right? You start second-guessing yourself, right? You start hearing the outside chatter. And so for a guy like Gino and Drew, to some extent, to, to hang in there, um, especially after for Gino, it was years and years of being a backup after, like you said, huge, uh, huge expectations there. And I think, again, it just speaks to – you know, the quarterback position, unlike really any position in all of sports for how much, how many eyeballs it gets, so much of your success is dictated around the situation around you, the program you go to, the coach you have, the offensive coordinator you have, the weapons you have around you. And 
Um, you see that every, time and time again in the NFL, and it seems like time and time again, NFL fans forget that, right? You forget that, hey, if Geno Smith or a Sam Darnold, they don't go to New York Jets and they go to Seattle early on, right. maybe their career is different. Same with Drew Locke. I think uh, Russell, early on in his career, by going to Seattle with a great run game and a great defense, and he had that runway to get acclimated to the NFL, I think that was a huge part of his success. And Russell is a great quarterback, or at least has been the past decade. But that's a huge factor. You put Andrew Luck or RG3 in a Seahawks uniform back in 2012 or whatever it was, maybe those careers are different. So yeah. I think it just speaks to the how, just the outside factors in that uh, it, for that for that quarterback position. And also look uh, across the conference. A guy like Brock Purdy. You know, he's in that MVP conversation. But if we're being honest and quarterbacks around the National Football League are being honest, no one's looking at Brock Purdy as, oh, he's the best quarterback in the NFL. There's a lot of guys that are a lot more talented than him. But Brock's taking advantage of the situation that he's in. And uh, that's why we, lo we love this sport, because it's the, uh, the ultimate team sport. Interesting that you bring that up. And so I'd, I'll ask you a follow-up since it's pertinent to what the Seahawks are doing, obviously within the division. Uh, as a guy who's had his, his eye primarily on the college game, I mean, I remember watching Brock Purdy play at Iowa State. I mean, he, he, he the Cougs played against Iowa State in the, in the Alamo Bowl, I think his freshman year. And he had, a, he had David Montgomery on that team and Hakeem Butler was on that team and tore us apart. And I thought he was a nice college quarterback. But, but did you, when you watched him at Iowa State, did you ever see him having this level of success in the NFL? I didn't. I didn't. Um, I think the one thing that stuck out to me was the number of college starts he had. So you knew that when he transitioned into the NFL, I think he started 40-some-odd games, that, hey, that learning curve and that experience might give him a chance. But let's be honest. I mean, he was a seventh-round Mr. Irrelevant pick. Like, I didn't think it was going to work out for him. I mean, yeah. I backed up two dudes in college, or I guess <laughs> – I mean, four guys that I was technically behind are all um, at some point NFL starting quarterbacks. Sam Darnold, who obviously his, I mean, he's Brock's backup right now. Yeah. Um, I think he could go in there and fill in uh, appropriately. A guy like Cody Kessler, who was similar to Brock in that, you know, just take what the defense gives you, be a smooth and consistent quarterback, a high floor, maybe lower ceiling type of quarterback that you know what you're going to get. And you just never know how those those guys are going to shake out. Um, but it speaks to Brock. And I think the thing that does jump out is his ability to process things quickly. And so much of that's a guessing game when quarterbacks are jumping from college to the NFL in that how much is that, how much of that is just they're comfortable in college versus how much of that is a true skill set of being able to process things and anticipate yeah. things at a high level where it will translate to the next level. And that's the, that is the question that scouts are trying to figure out when they're uh, analyzing the college uh, college quarterback position. It is interesting, and, and I think we're going to see more and more of that these next couple of draft classes because now we're seeing guys that maybe maybe some of the guys that that typically slip through the cracks come draft time because they don't have, um, you know, they're not the combine guys and they don't have the the big um, the big reputation, but have a lot of football under their belts, 50 starts. Some of these guys, 55 starts by the time they turn pro because they've transferred or they've grad transferred. I think of a guy like Sam Hartman, who seems to have been, seems to have played an entire career in college, um, you know, slated to go in the middle of the draft, but might have more appeal than he might've a couple of years ago because teams are thinking, Hey, wait a minute. This guy's played a lot of football. He's seen a lot of things. 
Um, I want to talk a little bit with you about this draft class because I've kind of started the conversation. Some people, and I hear it all the time whenever I do something like this, it's too soon, it's too soon, it's too soon. And certainly quarterback's been a focus of the Seahawks um, this year because early in the year, Gino wasn't playing well. Then he starts playing well and he gets hurt. And then we get to see Drew Locke, uh, which you commented on. But this draft class coming up, I feel like, is is one of the more interesting ones in years because, because in some ways of that depth, guys waiting to come out. And so now they're stacked up a little bit. Um, but also because I feel like, and I've been saying this for a couple of months, that the Seahawks are in a position where regardless of how well Geno Smith plays the rest of the year, or Drew Locke, take your pick, that it's there's an opportunity here with the, with the balance and the, the quality, the youth of this roster and the balance of it, and really the lack of glaring black holes on it, uh, some might disagree that it's time to commit to a young quarterback and maybe not necessarily play him day one, but moving forward. And so I've been watching this class. What are your thoughts, first of all, generally on this group of quarterbacks at the top anyway that are expected to come out in this draft? Yeah, I love this quarterback class. Uh, Caleb Williams, I think, is the he's the best NFL quarterback prospect that I have seen in my time in the in the, mm. on the media side of things. So yeah. the past five or six years, uh, I think uh, nationally, a lot of people get latched on to some of his antics, the fingernail painting and the crying in the stands. And I mean, antics for some people, that was a, a wholesome moment for other people. It was uh, something they were critical of anyways. Uh, I think those are distractions. I don't think those are real concerns. I think his play on the field is outstanding. And at the top of the draft, he is, uh, he is the dude, but I also love Michael Penix. Uh, I need to watch more of Drake may before I decide who my number two guy is. But I have Michael Penix before Bo Nix, that's for sure, um, at this at this stage. I think uh, Penix is a little bit more accurate, and he was um, forced to make more NFL-level throws on a more consistent basis than Bo Nix was at the college level. And that's an interesting – the timing there is interesting because if the Hawks are picking in that 15, 20, 22, 24 type of slot, that could very well be where Michael Penix is, uh, is, is positioned. And – it does feel like the Hawks after, you know, the, the ending year with Russell Wilson and then now two years of, of, of Geno Smith, that they are the type of team that is poised to go and get their guy, just given the, the, the situation that the, the, the organization's in and then also how strong of a quarterback class this is would not, not surprise me at all if they fell in love with one of those guys and they, and they go get him. And I think when you look at the history of the NFL and some of the top quarterbacks in the NFL right now, you look at what, you know, the Rams did with Stafford in that they, you know, proactively moved away from what was called above average quarterback play to try to go get great quarterback play and win a Super Bowl, not just be a playoff contending team. Go get go get that Super Bowl. You saw it with, you know, the Ravens in some regard on the tail end of Jack, Joe Flacco. You go get Lamar Jackson. You saw it with the Chiefs and Alex Smith. Right. A lot of people were critical of that decision, but you go get Pat Mahomes. Those types of decisions, I feel like oftentimes work out the best for franchises when they're proactive, you go and find your guy and sure. And sure. Sometimes uh, organizations miss, but if you like your dude and the Seahawks are historically are one of the best drafting organizations in the NFL. So I feel confident in their ability to, uh, to find their dude, especially given the last time they did this was, was Russell Wilson. Um, yeah. When that was a stretch to some back then, it just feels like the timing's right for the Seahawks to, to make that kind of move. It's interesting. John Schneider says every single year 
that, you know, we hear the story every year about how he came up under Ron Wolf in that, in that Packer organization. And, and Wolf had a philosophy of drafting a quarterback every single year, no matter what. And, and they had a run there in Green Bay where they got value by trading guys uh, that established a profile for themselves um, and, getting, and getting picks back in return. Aaron Brooks and Mark Brunel and Ty Detmer and guys like that. And, and it does seem to be sort of uh, a blind spot on his resume that outside of Russell Wilson, Alex Magoo is the only other quarterback he's ever drafted. And he keeps talking about it every year and maybe it's lining up this year. Are there, are there, let me ask you two questions first of all, because I think when we look at the, this draft, the, the casual fan, and it's early in the process, I know, and some people are going to get more familiar with these names, but we have May and Williams at the top. And then uh, I like how you gr- kind of grouped Knicks and Penix, you know, I think combination of age, questions about scheme with Knicks, injury history with Penix. Maybe those guys slide into the middle to the late first round. And then Jane Daniels has kind of been the, 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 the comet, right? Who's kind of come up out of nowhere. Another guy that's played a ton of football. I, I didn't think much of him when he was at Arizona, Arizona State. And then he goes to LSU. He wins the Heisman and he just blows up statistically. And I think he has over 50 starts. Your thoughts on Jaden Daniels is, is getting into that upper group. Yeah, I share the sentiment of you in that, uh, you know, if you had told me that uh, he was going to win the Heisman after transferring from ASU, I would have said, I would have said you're crazy. I thought he was a really good college quarterback, but the Heisman's a whole, uh, whole different conversation there. Um, I like Jaden Daniels. I think he's a really good football player. I do not have him uh, in the Michael Penix conversation. Again, uh, one of the biggest factors for me when evaluating college quarterbacks and their jump to the NFL is how on an average on a, on, a, on an average throw basis, how often are they asked to throw guys open, make contested throws, and throw NFL level level throws? And Michael Penix has made a living off the back shoulder fade throw, which is yeah. not an easy throw, but he makes that look easy. And that's not necessarily scheme. That's a quarterback throwing his dude open. And I don't know if I see that as frequently from Jaden Daniels. Obviously, he put up crazy stats, yeah. but. Uh, I put him more in that Bo Nix conversation. I do think, I mean, we, we know how these NFL draft uh, timelines go. If Jaden Daniels is a second, third round type of guy, maybe in three months he's a first, second round type of guy. They always they always creep up there. So yeah. I like his game. I definitely think he's worth the consideration for those teams like the Seahawks that are in that position where you don't have to have a quarterback. But if you love his game, maybe you nab him around earlier than you think. Um, he's got a lot to like. You like the starts. You like the mobility. Um, but I, I do think there's separation from that top group to, to where he's at now. And then again, I know it's early in the process and and maybe you haven't watched a ton of tape on these guys yet. And uh, we'd love to have you on again closer to the draft and, and talk about these guys in more depth. But those are sort of the five that are getting a lot of talk right now. The one guy who hasn't declared his intentions that you'll see anywhere from top 10 sometimes in mock drafts to the end of the first round is J.J. McCarthy. How much of him have you been able to watch? He kind of gets flies under the radar because Michigan doesn't have a high-powered, high-flying passing offense. Very con- sort of old-school John Jim Harbaugh, obviously, smash mouth, still uses a fullback. Um, your thoughts on J.J. McCarthy? Love the uh, love love the combine blueprint from JJ McCarthy. He's going to run well. He's extremely athletic. I think he has the arm strength and um, 
every year there's always that one quarterback that you can fall, fall in love with just his skill set in shorts and a t-shirt, which, Hey, you can roll your eyes on that. But I also think there, there, I mean, there's a reason that, you know, a lot of the great quarterbacks are great athletes and have the arm strength. And then you pair that with the accuracy. And so I think he checks all the boxes. That's a long winded way of saying he checks all the boxes, his scheme in college I don't think he was asked to do as much as Caleb Williams or Michael Penix or even Jaden Daniels to some regard. LSU, without Jaden Daniels, they're not putting up 50 points. Michigan doesn't need J.J. McCarthy to put up crazy numbers to to win a lot of these games. I think that's a different type of mindset. Uh, I also like his ceiling. I think there's more to tap into, right? It's kind of the inverse of a lot of the guys that we're talking about, right? If Michael Penix and Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels have been on campus for five, six years, it's 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 reasonable to think that they've maybe you know tapped into a lot of their ceiling more so than a guy like JJ McCarthy who uh, is a true true junior if I'm not uh, not mistaken so maybe there's more room to grow into like like a guy like a like a Josh, Josh Allen or something like that he's obviously yeah. McCarthy's not as physical of a runner but sure. I think it's just two two different trains of thought and I think his combine process will probably um, probably be that that five month stretch be as critical as any of those quarterbacks because of the growth potential there. Uh, but again, he's right in that conversation of those top five or six guys. And it's a reason why this draft class is so strong. And it's also the reason why would not surprise me if, as we progress, you know, you talk about Caleb Williams and I'm sure as, as the months go on, there's going to be a consensus number two, number three, but it wouldn't surprise me if, that guy that we all think is number five, one of those teams in the first round, it's their number two guy, and he goes a lot earlier than expected. Maybe J.J. McCarthy kind of falls into that bucket. And then, again, with the qualifier that it's early in the process, I'm going to ask this on behalf of my viewers because I, I exchange, I do a lot of mock draft talk uh, on my on my Twitter feed and, and uh, get a lot of people chiming in and doing their own. And, and a very popular concept among fans is the trade down for more value and hope to hit on a guy later. The Seahawks have put themselves in a position where that might not be as much of an option because they don't have a second round pick now heading into next year's draft, at least as we sit here today. And so if you're thinking about a, a day two guy or later, you're now you're talking third round or later, right? Are, are at this point of the process, are there any kind of dark horses guys that you've, uh, that you have an affinity for that you don't think are getting enough attention that you think can be a viable starter in the NFL? It'll be very interesting to see where Jordan Travis lands. I was really mm. impressed with him early on in the season, the Florida State quarterback. Yeah. Um, and then especially given his given his injury, um, and I believe he's uh, he's out of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, he was out there on senior day. Um, you always have to qualify that with the uh, COVID eligibility nowadays. <laughs> uh, but his, his injury obviously will hurt his draft stock. Um, but I was really impressed, and I thought – he drove the car for Florida State. He was throwing guys open. Again, these the the checklist of uh, metrics that I'm looking at of, you know, how how often are you asked to make NFL-level throws and his progression starting as an athletic quarterback, growing into more of a pocket passer quarterback. I think there it wouldn't surprise me if a team falls in love with him. Uh, by every account, everything you read is he's beloved by his teammates, the leader, the all the intangibles you like and the production that he had in college. He's a dude that keep your eye out on, especially because of the in injury in that if he falls to that third, fourth, fifth, I don't even, maybe it even goes as low as six. I don't, I don't know what, uh, what they're saying right now, but he's a guy that I uh, really liked in college and can see it progress into the NFL. 
Before I let you go, let's let's tie this in locally here. Uh, longtime Washington resident, uh, star quarterback at Skyline High School, um, and their prolific offense back in the day. What's a what's a memory of your time playing football here in the state? Uh, that if I snap my fingers and said, think of one right now that uh, comes to mind. Well, with this context, uh, one of the highlights of playing high school football, at least when I was there, is if you made it to the state championship, you got to. Uh, do the final week of practice in the uh, Seahawks indoor facility, which that was always, that was always a blast being around Pete Carroll, seeing some of the players. Um, they, I think it was, was a cam chancellor that spoke to our team. Um, mm. Anyways, that was always a highlight and had the, had the pleasure of playing in four different uh, state title games. So it was something that uh, thankfully we got used to, but we never took for granted um, how special that was. You're busing from uh, the Sammamish plateau to Renton, um, practicing there. That was great. And I, I actually was bummed to hear that they moved the state championship game out of the Tacoma dome into Husky stadium. If I'm not mistaken, the Tacoma dome for me was, uh, that was always a dream get to the dome and play in that, uh, smaller combined setting. That was awesome. And, uh, brings up all the nostalgic feelings. Nice. Well, Max, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy these days. Um, and as I said, would love to have you on again closer to the draft and, and dig into some of these guys in detail. I think we'll know a lot more then about obviously the class and the prospects in it, but also the Seahawks draft position, how they finish the season, and maybe what their line of thinking is uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, before I let you go, let people know where they can uh, where they can find your content and what you're up to. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dan. This was a blast. Uh, I'm active on all the social media platforms, Instagram and TikTok the most. Uh, Instagram's Max Brown with an E at the end. TikTok is Brown Max. Brown has an E at the end. And uh, yeah, I post a bunch of short form content, everything from football take videos to breakdown videos to just lifestyle videos. It's uh, it's fun. So check it out. And if you go to his TikTok account, I highly recommend uh, scrolling down a little bit and find his breakdown of Michael Penix versus Jaden Daniels and why he thinks Penix should have won the Heisman. Max, thanks for joining me on the show. We'll talk to you again soon, all right? Thanks, Dan. Talk soon. Well, if you thought that was fun, that is just the tip of the iceberg. We have three weeks left in the regular season, hopefully some postseason to look forward to as Seahawks fans, as viewers of this show. But then we will commence with, uh, you know, everything that the offseason entails, in particular, the draft. And those of you, again, who are familiar with my work know how much I love the draft. And I might be looking forward to this one more than most because of the opportunity that I believe does exist for the Seahawks to set themselves up long-term for success at the quarterback position, regardless of what they decide this offseason on who to bring back. You stick with Geno Smith, you bring Drew back, you bring both of them back again. I don't, whatever combination you prefer. If you can imagine that in your head, I can make an argument that they need to commit to taking a young quarterback because it's time, because this roster can can support it and create an opportunity for a young quarterback to succeed, because it's smart, and because it, it may be the strength of this draft. And if you've seen any of the shows that I've done with Michael Thompson, over the last couple of years and the draft work that he does breaking things down for 12th man rising. And Michael and I are constantly texting about ideas and certain players and portal decisions and guys coming out in the draft or not. And one thing we talk about a lot is taking advantage of the strengths of a draft. And that maybe that's something that Schneider hasn't really done that well. 
I think it prevents you from reaching and it allows you to hit on higher ceiling prospects. Just if it's a strong tight end draft, try to get one of those tight ends. If it's a strong offensive tackle draft, try to get one of those tackles, whether it's a need or not. And this is a strong quarterback draft. And I believe that for the first time since Russell Wilson moved on, certainly, things have come together in such a way that they match up. That as much as John Schneider, as I mentioned, you know, with Max, as much as he talks about wanting to take a quarterback and things just haven't lined up, I think this year you can really make the argument that it will. This draft is being talked about as one that lacks blue chip, big time talent at the top, regardless of position, that it really drops off after the top 10 or 12. And so rather than, let's say you end up making the playoffs and you draft 23rd or 24th, instead of taking the third best edge player, fourth, fifth best edge player, or fifth or sixth best offensive lineman or wide receiver, pick your position. If there's an opportunity there at the end of the first round to take a quarterback that you truly believe can be a franchise quarterback and you don't do it this year, could end up costing you your job eventually. I think it's it, the time is right. I think it's something the Seahawks need to do. So we're going to be talking about it a lot on this show. Uh, and it doesn't, let me just throw this disclaimer out there one more time. It doesn't mean that I don't think Gino will be back or should be back or that the Seahawks can win with him. You can want both things. And that's the approach I'm going to take. Thank you again for watching, listening. Remember to do all the liking and subscribing and all of that stuff. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. I know I'm on threads too at, ah, shoot. I don't even know what my hand is. I think it's Seahawks Forever Dan or Seahawks Forever 12. Like someone had taken Seahawks Forever. <laughs> I haven't quite made the full conversion over to threads just because, you know, it took 13 years to build up uh, my following on Twitter and I really have a nice community there. I think I've done some nice things over the last couple of years of muting certain aspects of Twitter so that I just focus on the things that I like, which is 90% sports and 10% music and pop culture and some other silly stuff. Anyway, really appreciate the support. Thank you so much for watching and listening. I'll be back to preview the Titans game in a couple of days as we look forward to the Seahawks these last three games trying to make a playoff push. What a win. Still buzzing over that win on Monday night. I am Dan Viennes. This is Seahawks Forever. Forever and always, go Hawks.